I'm not sure about all of that, but I will, I will take it. Um, did anybody go to ladies' night last night? Who went to ladies' night? I wanted to give Courtney a shout out because Courtney gave us a word last night that hijacked me unexpectedly. Like I was hijacked by that word. And it was just this simple word that she gave with simple scriptures. And I was playing at the piano and I was like trying not to cry because I had to lead worship. And I've been crying ever since. Um, but I know that these words that I'm going to teach you today will fall flat if the Holy Spirit does not empower me. I am not that gifted of a communicator to be able to transform anybody's life. And I feel like information, the gathering of information, is too cheap of a reward for our Savior. He never said to come to church to be informed. He said to be transformed by the renewing of our minds in Christ Jesus. So I am going to pray over myself. If you will pray with me, Father, I just thank you for the word and this time that we have to, together today, to gather as your body, to gather as your people, to gather as your church, to be equipped, to be empowered, to be inspired by your word. Father, this is your word and not mine. So, Father, I pray that the words that come out of my mouth would be completely yours for the edification of your body in Christ Jesus, that we offer our hearts today to you, God, that you would do transforming work. Father, that you would not just fill our minds with information, but, Father, our hearts would be transformed in your presence. I ask for the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. I ask for accuracy and clarity in everything that I say today. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so let's get started. So last week, Pastor David taught us about Joseph the dreamer. This was a boy who was favored by his father. His father loved him so much, and his brothers knew it. And because of that, they, they were hateful towards him. It says that they had nothing good that they could say about Joseph. They couldn't say anything kind to, kind to him because they were jealous for their father's favor. And his father gives him a coat that will distinguish him from the rest of the brothers. Like, who wouldn't hate that? I would hate that. I, I think that my parents have favorites, but at least they... <laughs> At least they didn't just give one of them a coat, you know what I mean? Like, just to distinguish them. <laughs> I'm going to derail myself. I better just stick to my notes. <laughs> so Joseph has this dream. He has two dreams that he is an authority, in a position of elevated authority. And out of his immaturity, he shares it with his brothers. And their hatred and their jealousy is stirred. And all they want to do is destroy Joseph. Not for Joseph's sake but for the dream. They want to kill the dream. Out of mercy, instead of killing Joseph, they decide to just throw him into a pit. They get an opportunity. Some Ishmaelites come along, and they buy, they buy uh, their brother. They gladly sell him off, and they think that they are destroying the dream. So we're going to pick up where Pastor David left off, and I'm going to read some of it. It's chapter 39 of Genesis. It says this, Now Joseph had been brought down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard, an Egyptian, had bought him from the Ishmaelites. So Potiphar is in an elevated position of service to Pharaoh. We don't know if he is the chief chef or if he is the chief executioner. I know that those are like two completely contrasting things, but in my mind I was thinking, okay, he's either cutting off like chicken heads or he's cutting off human heads. Either way, he is in an elevated position of service to Pharaoh. And he buys Joseph, and it says this. It says that the Lord was with Joseph, and he became a successful man, and he was in the house of his Egyptian master. 
the interesting thing about that is that Joseph is still favored. He is still distinguished, but he is out of the familiar with his father, and he is now distinguished by the heavenly father. And it says that he, his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord caused all that he did to succeed in his hands. Said Joseph found favor in his sight and attended him, and he made him overseer of his house and put him in charge of all that he had. Potiphar was a secure leader because insecure leadership will see the gifts of those that are under them and they will, they will be squashed so that they feel better about themselves. Potiphar was a secure leader. He said, hey, here's a guy. I recognize the favor of God upon him. I'm going to put him in charge of all that I have. He's going to oversee all that I have. And it says that God actually blessed a wicked man in his entire household and all that was under his care for the sake of Joseph. I can't believe that God would do that. That's incredible. So it says that from the time that he made him overseer in his house and over all that he had, that the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. The blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in house and field. So he left all that he had in Joseph's charge, and because of him he had no concern about anything but the food he ate. And here we see a picture of Joseph's character, okay? So chapter 37, we see Joseph's immaturity. He's still, he's 17 years old, but we see a picture of his character because he isn't a bitter slave. He didn't come into Potiphar's house with bitterness in his heart for the trial that he's been through. He comes into Potiphar's house and he puts his best foot forward for the sake of his master. And his master finds him faithful. He is skilled, he is intelligent, he is gifted, he has high capacity. And so all of these things are benefiting Potiphar himself. Now, there comes this moment. Okay, so he's been through the trial. I can't imagine what that was like, but here comes this moment where his master's wife notices him. He's younger, he's, he's a good-looking guy. It says that he's handsome in form and appearance, okay? He's, he's a stud, he's good-looking, okay? And he's, he's good at what he does. Like, what woman wouldn't be attracted to that? And Egyptian women were a little loose. They weren't known for their chastity. So here she comes approaching him, and she says, come, come, Joseph, come sleep with me. Come lie with me, Joseph. And see, we can't understand the magnitude of this moment unless we understand the magnitude of the dream that his brothers were trying to kill. Because God's dream for Joseph was not that he would just be in an elevated position over his brothers. Joseph only got part of it. God only shared a little bit with him. God saw 20 years, I mean, God saw it all, but 20 years in advance, he knew that there was going to be a famine in the land, that there would be no food. And so he knew that he could send Joseph to preserve the life of Jacob because he was faithful to Jacob and to his sons, to Jacob's family, his chosen people. And so the magnitude of the moment is that she's going to tempt him with pleasure that will rob him of his purpose because God has chosen Joseph to be a vehicle of redemption. God's heart is a redeemer. He desires redemption. I want to take our minds to the moment where Jesus Christ is tempted. Okay, there's this spectacular supernatural moment at the beginning of Jesus's ministry. He's in the water with John the Baptist, the prophet in the wilderness. And he comes up out of the water and the Holy Spirit descends on him like a dove. I, I can't imagine what that would have felt like. 
Because I have had an experience with the Holy Spirit, but to, to, to feel him just comp- descend on him and then the heavens open up and the Father's voice comes out declaring in front of witnesses, this is my son, my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. The Holy Spirit does not take Christ into celebrity ministry where everything is good. Immediately the Holy Spirit leads him into the wilderness to be tempted. And Satan comes to him, and what he does is he tempts him with pleasure if he'll relieve himself of his responsibility. He says this in Matthew chapter 4, verse 8 and 9. It says, the devil took him, this is the third time he's tempted him, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world. Do you remember when Jose spoke to us? He said Jesus asked the Father for something. He asked him for the The nations were going to be his inheritance. Satan knew that. And in 40 days after fasting, he is at his weakest point as a man. And he is showing him what Jesus wants most. And he is saying, if you will relieve yourself of the responsibility of the cross, bow down and worship me. I will give you these kingdoms. If he didn't go to the cross, then we wouldn't have had a redeemer. Jesus Christ was sent to be a vehicle of redemption. That is what the enemy is after. The vehicle of redemption. Do you know what God's dream is for you? Because I don't want to move through this text without understanding that it can be applied to our lives. That God has a plan for you. And I have heard so many messages on this topic. It's drove me crazy. This is like the number one thing that teenagers want to hear about. What is God's purpose for me? What is God's plan for me? I'm going to tell you. I'm going to clear it all up. Back in the beginning when he created Adam and Eve, God gave them his intended purpose for them. He said, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, subdue it, and have dominion over it. His plan was that when he created man in his likeness and in his image, that man would fill the earth with God's glory. That was man's intended purpose. And Satan came. Satan came and he dangled pleasure pleasure in front of Eve's face. And she was deceived because Satan knew that if he could get her to take a bite, that no longer could she fill the earth with the glory of God the way that she was intended to. Pleasure that would rob her of her purpose. And so for thousands of years until Christ came, humanity could not fill the earth with the glory the way that God desired to know him and to make him known. If you have been born into the family of God, if you have been rescued and redeemed by a Savior, you have the greatest calling of anything. Your calling is to be a vehicle of redemption to those around you. That you're not called to have moments to pursue pleasure because if you pursue pleasure that is the wrong thing for you, it will rob you of your purpose. Perhaps in your marriage, it would be better if you would be a vehicle of redemption instead of seeking an easy way out that might be more pleasurable. Perhaps God isn't as concerned about your moment of suffering as he is about being a redeemer. Right? So let's go back to our text. Joseph, Joseph, because we need some strategies. When we're dealing with temptation, what it, what it is is the potential to derail you from fulfilling the purposes and the plans and the calling that God has on your life. 
It is, again, the pursuit of short-term pleasure at the risk of your long-term goals, and not just yours, but God's for you. So Joseph gives us some practical advice. He says, he says this. I'll just read the whole text, and then we'll pick it apart. It says, so Joseph was handsome in form and appearance, and after a time his master's wife cast her eyes on Joseph and said, lie with me, but he refused. And he said to his master's wife, behold, because of me my master has no concern about anything in the house, and he has put everything that he has in my charge. He is not greater in this house than I am, nor has he kept back anything from me except you because you are his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? Joseph's first line of response is as she is casting her eyes on what she doesn't yet have on Joseph, which she's not been given, he firmly fixes and cements his focus back on what God has given him. The benefits, not just the responsibilities. If, if you stop looking, if the enemy dangles pleasure in front of your face, that short-term moment of gratification that will put you at risk of your long-term goals, if he, can take, he, if he can get you to take a bite out of that, oh no, I'm going to lose my place. <laughs> I did. I lost it. I'm just going to look back at my notes because that's what's important. Okay, so the craving of temptation comes from desiring and focusing on what you do not have. So if you put your focus back on what you do have, that's your first line of defense. If you can remember Psalm 23, that the Lord is your shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. If there was something that I needed that I don't have, he would give it to me. My confidence and my trust is firmly in him. So that was his first line of defense. The second thing he does is this. He says, how then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? He names it. He names what it is. It's wicked. We don't like to name what it is. We like to leave gray area when we're struggling. Because if we name that it's wicked, we have to acknowledge who it's wicked against. And it's wicked against God. And if we acknowledge that it's wicked against God and we have surrendered our life to him, then we have to either bend our will in obedience to fit his, which is very hard, or we have to acknowledge that we're going to live in rebellion. We can't do that. So we leave everything gray. But Joseph leaves no room for gray. He says it's wicked. How then can I sin against God? He names who's in charge. Who's in charge of my life? It's not me, it's God. This is my bottom line. I cannot do anything that dishonors the Father. I am a man wholly submitted to the Father. Again, Christ, in his moment of temptation, every time the enemy came to him, he would respond upon the authority of the word of the living God because he was sending a message to the enemy. I am a man wholly submitted to the Father. Holy submitted and holy surrender. Jesus was not tempted as, a, as, a, as God. He left his Godhood behind. He was tempted as a man. Holy submitted to the Father, empowered by the Holy Spirit. Joseph's third line of defense is this. He runs because the temptation gets too strong and temptation gets violent. She wants to have him. The enemy wants to have us. Temptation, can, it, it, it doesn't just stop once. Have you ever had a battle with something real? Like one day it's there, and then the next day maybe you're, you're fine. The next day it's there, and the next day you... Uh, we, this is how we fight our battles. It's a battle. 
It's not one in a moment. Day after day she came to him. And so he had to run. She grabs his garment and he leaves the house because he, he did something stupid. I just, this is the one thing that Joseph did that was stupid. He told nobody. He was accountable to no one and he goes in the house alone. So now she can say whatever she wants and there are no witnesses. If you're struggling with something, you better tell somebody. <laughs> All right. So Joseph flees. It says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13 through 14. It says, There is no temptation that has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But with temptation, he will also provide a way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Therefore, my beloved, flee, run. If you find yourself in a compromising position, you better get out of there so that you can preserve your uprightness and your righteousness before the Lord, so that you can keep your bottom line. So the rest of the story is this. She cries rape. She calls all the men of the household together, and she says, this guy, he's, this Hebrew, he's tried to rape me. This is what happened, and this is the proof. Here's his garment, and she leaves it beside her, and when her husband comes home, she says the same thing. This man tried to rape me. This Hebrew that you led in the house, he tried to rape me, and here's his garment as proof. Potiphar gets angry, and he throws him into prison, and Joseph is there for the next 12 years. But it says this, because nobody would sign up that for that. If you think that your moment of pleasure is really enticing because you would rather have that than maybe a moment of suffering. I can promise you that your long-term satisfaction is better than your moment of pleasure because it says this, it says that the Lord was with Joseph in prison and he showed him his steadfast love and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. Joseph was in a good place. He was innocent. He did not bear the weight of guilt. He was innocent before the Father. He had done what was right. And he was our foreshadowing of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ did that which was right. If you have found yourself in a compromising position and you have fallen, you are in good company because all of us have. It says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And he made a way for us through the cross. That's the cross, the redemption. And he desires us to pick up that cross and to carry it and to take it to others who need the hope and the life of Jesus Christ in the gospel. That is why we are here. And we don't have time to waste. So these are God's promises. This is what I'm going to end with. I'm short-winded. For those of you who like to get out of church, I'm good for you. You guys like me. So, <laughs> It says this, Psalm 34, for those who are in the Bible, this is, this is God's promise for you. It says that the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are attentive to their cry. The Lord is listening and he is watching you. It says that the eyes of the Lord are roaming the earth looking for those who are fully devoted to him in order to strengthen them. You don't need to hide from Jesus because he is the one who intercedes for you before the Father. Like Jose told us, constant prayer meeting. He is your intercessor. Don't hide anything from him. Lay it out there before him right now. Right now in your moment, in your heart, right now, there is something that you are struggling with. There are things in this room. There may be homosexual thoughts. There may be thoughts of adultery. There are real temptations. You might want to go hit the bottle after service. This is Citygate. Like, we're a room full of, of misfits who have broken problems, and we're honest about it, right? This is real life. 
So right now in your hearts before the Lord, offer it up to him. Offer it up to him so that he can transform those temptations, so that he can give you strength in your moment of weakness, in your time of need. Because it says this, it says in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15 and 16, it says, we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with us in our weaknesses, but we have a high priest who in every respect has been tempted as we are and is yet without sin. So let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that he may receive mercy and find grace and help in his time of need. What a spectacular promise that is to us. I thank God for that because I am such an imperfect person in such need of a savior. There's nothing good about me. Jesus, only Jesus. Father, I just ask God that in this moment, Father, that you would do a work in our hearts. Father, we offer our hearts and ourselves up to you so that, Lord, you might transform our hearts and our minds so that we might be the likeness of Christ and be his image bearers in the earth, that we might be the vehicle of redemption that will take his glory wherever you call us, whether it's our job, whether it's in our children's lives, whether it's in our marriage, Father, wherever we may be. Father, that you would use us, that you would give us strength, that when the enemy dangles momentary pleasure in front of our face that will rob us of our purpose, that we will make a stand and we will say no. No, Jesus, I thank you for your supply. I thank you that you were a God who was willing to suffer and to go through suffering so that it might be for my benefit and that I might live fully free and fully liberated and fully walking in the pleasures that you have for me. That is the greatest thing known to man. In your name, amen. David's going to play a little bit. Maybe if you can play um, I'm Surrounded one more time. And Pastor Gray is going to come up and lead us an altar. And the altar team, if you could come forward. If there is anybody in this place that is struggling and needs to, uh, to overcome their battle and temptation, that there are people here up front that will pray with you.